Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. No, man, don't, don't worry. Listen, it's just the two of us chatting. It's not a big deal. I mean, yeah, 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 we have hundreds and thousands of listeners. But but right now, it's just the two of us. Oh, shoot. Was I? Okay, f- forget all that, uh, listener. I apologize. Just a little coaching here. Uh, we have joining us this segment uh, a good friend of the program, producer uh, Gustavo, uh, to talk. Uh, we're going to talk about contact tracing here in a moment. But first, while I have you, what are you, what are you wearing there? What is that? Uh, my Lakers jersey. Why are you wearing that? Uh, they won a little tournament called the NBA champion. Little but, tournament? Yeah, 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 little tournament. Little tournament. Now, you watched last night. Yeah, I did. What time do you have to report here to the building? <sighs> at 4. You're here in the building at 4. Yeah. Uh, what time did the game wrap up last night? Uh, 8.30. How how far past your bedtime is 8.30? Uh, a lot. <laughs> An hour. Yeah? So I go to sleep at 7.30. And that's to, to get up here to do all the important work you have yeah. uh, to do. Uh, you, you enjoyed the game? The, the series wrapped up the way you would like, all right? Yep, yep, I did, I did. I was a little mad on Friday, but then I was very happy yesterday. What, what, made, what made you mad Friday? <laughs> they weren't playing the way I, w- I wanted them to play, yeah. and so. but then they did on Sunday. So, yeah, there was a lot of missed shots and, and uh, not, a lot of whole, not a lot of defense on their part on Friday. It was just, I, I it was just... There are a lot of players. And listen, we're going to talk about contact tracing here in a moment. But uh, but Gustavo's got this jersey on. Uh, he and I both Lakers fans. I, uh, more than anything, a LeBron fan. Uh, tell me this about LeBron. So he has now essentially just by force of will – taken three teams to the championship, which in his absence uh, likely wouldn't have uh, become world champions. Does that set him apart in your mind? Is he is he the GOAT uh, after being able to take three teams, pick them up, and just haul them on his own to a championship? And is that an accurate statement? I think so, and that is accurate. I mean, I mean, he pe- he picks the team where he wants to go. I mean, oh yeah, I'm talking about the Heat and the, and the Lakers, and I guess he— he picked to go back to Cleveland and made him champion, so I think that's an accurate statement. Just a kid from Akron. Yep. Just a kid from Akron. <laughs> yep. All right, Gustavo, let's get to uh, the, the task at hand here. You uh, you, and, and you and I have discussed this ahead of time. You're okay uh, letting this information be known. Uh, you uh, battled the coronavirus. You came down uh, with the coronavirus. You had some. Did you have symptoms, or, or was it why, – why did you get a test? I just had the sniffles. You had the but sniffles? But the reason I got it is because my dad tested positive. Okay. So since I'm around him, it was more than obvious that I should yeah. go get one. So you uh, got the test, uh, the, the, the Q-tip up your nose? Yeah. yeah. But you enjoyed it, you said, right? You, you, uh, you're you one of the, the, the sector of the population. Like, no. yeah, sure. Te- no? No. You, you, don't recre- you don't recreationally get nasal? Oh, okay. All right. I must have mistaken you. for Maybe it was producer Amy or someone. Um. <laughs> 
So you get the test, you get uh-huh. the results. Well, first off, what's it like getting that phone call? You get the phone call, and they w- w- what's that conversation like? Uh, the nurse is very serious about it. Yeah. Um, she uh, she asks for for you know who the person that got it, and then she says, uh, or I mean he whatever. Right. Uh, and they're very direct about it. They just tell you, uh, yeah, we're calling you because you are positive. Wow. And do they just let you maybe ask another question, or do they have any follow-up guidance for you? Do they tell you then to isolate? And Yeah, yeah. They told me to isolate and not to go out, uh, and I had to be in my in my home for 10 days, mm-hmm. uh, not to go to work or anything like that. And if I had uh, come in contact with anybody, I should uh, tell them right away. Sure. Yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you have to make some of those phone calls? Uh, yeah, my girlfriend. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Not to get into your business, but what was that conversation like? Uh, I was kind of sad. Yeah. I was kind of sad because I, I, I saw her that weekend. Mm. I went and took it. I, and, um, uh, but luckily, uh, she didn't get it her, mm. her or her family. But yeah, I had to let her know, Hey, you know what? My dad tested positive and then I went and got it and I, I also have it. So I won't see you for like a month. <laughs> Was that what it was? You didn't see it for a month? Yeah, I think a little bit. Yeah. I think it was a month or two. Huh. Yeah. Well, uh, well, listen, I'm happy that uh, that everyone is healthy today. You and your dad, everyone in your circle is happy and yeah. healthy today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got the phone call. The positive diagnosis came through from, uh, I assume, the health department. Yeah. But that's not the only phone call you get. You, as we have heard time and time again, there is this all-important task of contact tracing. Right. And you were contacted by a contact tracer. What, what was that? What was that like? The, the phone call comes through. You answer it, or what happened? Uh, so my dad first got the call. Okay. Uh, uh, first phone call, he didn't answer because he thought it was a spam caller. But then uh, uh, translator tells him to uh, to call him back because they want to ask him a few questions about his. Uh, COVID results. And so then he, then the second call, he, he answered. Um, uh, oh, and the translator comes from another state. So it's not here in, here in the state. You, you, Spanish is spoken in yeah, your home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so uh, the first question is, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And do you have any more symptoms? And uh, uh, does anyone, uh, does anyone else in your home have it? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's the basic questions. And uh, where did you get it? Or, or maybe can you tell us where, where you got it from, or who you got it from? So, you, you and I have d- discussed this this exchange you had with the contact tracer in the in the past. You uh, have let me know that t- at one point there was a little bit of hesitancy to to respond to some of the questions. Um. Probably not. The, well, not the questions, but answer them. Like I didn't. I didn't want to answer the call. I didn't want to answer the call. I see. I see. Yeah. I, Did you, you knew what the call was though? Yeah. After my dad got it. Yeah. Uh, and he's the one that changed my mind. He he's the one that told me you should answer the call. It's their job, and they just want to you know make sure where you got it from, and you know yeah. make sure not uh, uh, other people don't get it. But sure. yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to answer. It. W- what was your hesitancy? The the. I, I I called it a hundred questions. Yeah, and also I didn't know how much how long they were gonna take uh, asking all these questions and yeah yeah. Just to me, it was just a drag. 
Yeah. I didn't want to answer questions. But you did it. Your dad talked to you. Uh, you understood the importance of it, the efficacy. You understood that it was something that was helping others. Yeah. And ultimately answered. I did. I did. And it wasn't that bad, actually. It was about like uh, 10 questions, very easy questions. Yeah. Same questions uh, they asked my dad where I got it from. I've been, have I been isolated for 10, yeah. 10 days? They're not prying into your personal life. They're not prying no. into any you know stuff that you'd be uncomfortable revealing. Nope. Uh, the, the reason I ask you, and the reason you and I have had this conversation, is that there unfortunately turns out to be uh, a sector of the population uh, which is incredibly hesitant to participate in these conversations. Mm-hmm. They get the call from the contact tracer, and it's uh, as if that it's as if they're. Privacy has been invaded. In fact, uh, we're going to take a break here in a moment. We're going to get into a story that comes out of New York City where there was a party, and uh, the party turned out to be one of these super spreader events. A number of uh, party goers there come down with the coronavirus, and they were later contacted by contact tracers, as you were, Gustavo. And uh, what happens next, uh, this group of about seven say, "Uh, yeah, no, we're not interested in participating Next thing you know it, they're facing $2,000 fines. Uh, we'll get into uh, you know the rationale there, uh, whether or not this should be a mandated practice, the participating in contact tracing, and much more. That's ahead on Live Mike. Gustavo, go Lakers. Go Lakers. Congratulations. Just a kid from Akron. <laughs> That's right. I believe. All right, Gustavo. Talk to you later. Thank you. Uh, more on contact tracing next. And should you respond to the call if you are on the receiving end? of a contact tracer. I say yes. What do you say? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. Uh, I, I have to confess something. I was unaware uh, that uh, a, a character in American politics and in American public life uh, was still alive until it was announced just today that they had passed away. Uh, I am talking about the mother of John McCain. Senator John McCain's mother uh, has passed away. Roberta McCain, uh, she passed away today uh, in her home in Washington. She was 108 years old, 108 years old. In fact, when uh, Senator McCain was running for president and his mother was 96, she was on the campaign trail. You may remember uh, some of her uh, appearances. And again, I will admit that I, uh, I, I did not know that she was still alive. <clears throat> I remember my first exposure to the type of person she was came uh, years and years ago when I read that uh, McCain family memoir called Faith of My Fathers. Uh, and I will have to go back now and, and read that and reacquaint myself uh, with the life uh, of this woman, Roberta McCain, who uh, an, an oil heiress, married to uh, John McCain Sr., of course, one of the Navy, Navy's highest-ranking Officers, and then uh, to give birth to Senator John McCain Jr., whose uh, life you are well familiar with. Uh, but the the woman behind it all, uh, a fascinating character. And I remember, uh, I remember when I first read that book, Faith of My Fathers, uh, and it talks about the relationship he had with his mother and her role uh, in his uh, in his upbringing. It was a <clears throat> it, was, it was a touching a touching characterization. And I am left only with the impressions. I need to go back, and I will do so here this evening, uh, and remind myself of the the specifics. Uh, but again, the news is Roberta McCain. John McCain's mother has passed away in her home in Washington at the age of 108. 108. Uh, a remarkable achievement in, in longevity, if nothing else. But she was uh, much, much more. All right. <clears throat> I want to talk to you now. Uh, returning back to that 
conversation I was having with uh, Gustavo. Gustavo's pretty cool, huh? Uh, pretty cool dude. He, he and I uh, shoot the breeze on basketball and plenty else, uh, and he does a lot for the show here. Grateful to him uh, for making himself available on this uh, topic. And again, the topic is contact tracing. Contact tracing. Uh, the question, what to expect if a, a COVID-19 contact tracer calls you. The reason the reason this has come up, first off, we talk uh, often about contact tracing. We have had uh, many conversations uh, with, uh, with, say, Dr. Angela Dunn. We uh, just, just last month had a conversation uh, with a nurse from the Salt Lake Department of Health who she trains the new contact tracers. Let me just get, bring you up to speed on what they try to tell people if they're not open, open to sharing information with tracers. So let's say you are someone uh, who, like Gustavo for a moment there, was hesitant uh, to, to answer the call and respond to the questions asked of contact tracers. Here's what happens uh, if you are contacted by a contact tracer working for the Salt Lake uh, Department of Health. Some of them are afraid to give us information. They don't want to give us information for various reasons. Um, and so we are okay with that. I mean, we try to educate them that if you provide us the names of the people, if they do get sick, uh, we can provide a referral to go get testing. If they need work letters to go back to work or reasons why they are quarantined, uh, we can provide that. But if we don't have that information, then we can't provide some of that, the things that they may need in their, in their work situation or life. Two things, I believe, would lead someone to be hesitant to respond to a call. There is just the, the inconvenience factor. Uh, how often are you and I called by, you know, someone hoping to extend our car's warranty or maybe get some sort of Social Security scam? Uh, you and I have been uh, pretty well conditioned to ignore uh, calls coming from unknown numbers these days. And that's too bad because I bet you, I bet you that one out of every uh, 20 or so of those calls is from someone, maybe from your past. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone in need. And these gosh darn telemarketer types uh, have really soured the ability to, to reach out and effectively communicate that way. So maybe maybe because of that conditioning, we're hesitant to, to answer the call. On the other hand, there are those who are hesitant to answer these questions, the questions posed by contact tracers trying to retrace the the spread of a virus should an individual contract it because uh, because they want their information to stay private. What is said to those people? We're only using this just to decrease the spread and, and educate and help help them get care. Okay. Now, what was said right there, uh, the, the reason for the contact tracing is to make sure that all those who have come in contact with the infected party are contacted and that we are able to mitigate the, the spread. Now, if that information is not conveyed, uh, well, use your imagination. You know exactly what happens. Uh, it goes off uh, and, and spreads, and someone, someone who could stand to gain a lot of safety and peace of mind by getting a call like that, being informed that, you know, you, listen, I'm so, so sorry, but you've been, uh, you've been in close contact with someone who's come down with COVID-19. You don't take that first phone call. That piece of information doesn't get, con- doesn't get conveyed to the right person. And, well, you can, you can understand the, the value of getting good information to the right people. Now, how far should it go? Should you be compelled to participate in contact tracing. Put it, think of it as a, as a mask mandate. We, we wear masks, or at least the science tells us that masks are effective against 
uh, spreading the virus to others and to a lesser degree contracting the, the virus ourselves. Here in the state of Utah, we don't have a statewide mandate. There are some uh, areas within the state, uh, county and municipalities, where masks are uh, a requirement. But in terms of uh, decrees put forth by the government, there is no statewide mandate. And we can save for another day uh, whether or not you think that is a good idea. But now let's apply that same question to contact tracing. All right. The objective of the contact tracing is to mitigate the spread. It is, uh, according to the science, a tool aimed at slowing the spread within the community at large. What are our obligations to aid in that effort? I think that uh, here in the state of Utah, there is zero threat of a contact tracing participation mandate uh, coming to fruition, even even in the most liberal of counties and municipalities. All right. Not, Not to make this a political thing, but you understand the trends in New York. Things are different. In New York, there was a party not too long ago. There were about 100 people there, all of them, uh, most of them rather, in their early 20s. It's in Rockland County. It's just north uh, of New York City. Coincidentally, I've got a a sister of mine, brother-in-law, and their brand-new little baby. Uh, They live not too far from here where this party took place. Well, uh, that party there of about 100 people turned itself into one of these super spreader events. Super spreader events. You may have heard the term super spreader, uh, think a few weekends ago to the White House. Anyway, contact tracing commenced. There were eight guests who were contacted by contact tracers. How did those who came down with the coronavirus respond to the contact tracers? Well, they hung up. They said they didn't wish to participate. Uh, They didn't have to speak to the disease investigators. They then hung up. They denied being there at the party. Well, that made its way back to county officials who issued subpoenas to the eight people who they believed were at that party. Those who did not comply with the subpoena were issued fines. They were told that they would be uh, on the hook for up to $2,000 a day in uh, financial penalization. What do you think about that? Is that is that the American way? Is that the way that we exercise the, the personal liberties and freedoms that uh, Governor Herbert talks about, uh, that Dr. Fauci even has talked about, that I talk about so often? That our greatest tool in combating this virus is our is our liberty and our personal responsibility taken to do what is right. Uh, this drives me crazy, and I sure hope that this poisonous attitude uh, of compulsory compulsory uh, behavior like this does not spread, and it's confined just to this county there in New York. We're going to take a break right now, and when we return, I'm going to tell you about a new hobby of mine. Yeah, it's a COVID nineteen hobby. You might laugh at me. I hope you don't. I'll give it away next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.